0: Section Twenty Nine of The Natural History, Volume Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume Seven, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section Twenty Nine, Book Thirty Six, Chapters Five to Thirteen. Chapter Five. At what period marble was first used in buildings this must suffice for the sculptors in marble and the works which have gained the highest repute with reference to which subject it occurs to me to remark that spotted marbles were not then in fashion in making their statues these artists used the marble of tasos also one of the cyclades and of lesbos this last being rather more livid than the other The poet Menander, in fact, who was a very careful inquirer into all matters of luxury, is the first who has spoken, and that but rarely, of variegated marbles, and indeed of the employment of marble in general. Columns of this material were at first employed in temples, not on grounds of superior elegance, for that was not thought of as yet, but because no material could be found of a more substantial nature. It was under these circumstances that the temple of the Olympian Jupiter was commenced at Athens, the columns of which were brought by Scylla to Rome for the buildings in the capital. Still, however, there had been a distinction drawn between ordinary stone and marble, in the days of Homer even. The poet speaks in one passage of a person being struck down with a huge mass of marble, but that is all. And when he describes the abodes of royalty adorned with every elegance, besides brass, gold, electrum, and silver, he only mentions ivory. Variegated marbles, in my opinion, were first discovered in the quarries of Chios, when the inhabitants were building the walls of their city, a circumstance which gave rise to a facetious repartee on the part of Marcus Cicero, it being the practice with them to show these walls to everybody as something magnificent. I should admire them much more, said he, if you had built them of the stone used at Tiber. And, by Hercules, the art of painting would never have been held in such esteem, or indeed in any esteem at all, if variegated marbles had been held in admiration. CHAPTER Six: WHO WERE THE FIRST TO CUT MARBLE INTO SLABS, AND AT WHAT PERIOD? I'm not sure whether the art of cutting marble into slabs is not an invention for which we are indebted to the people of Caria the most ancient instance of this practice so far as I know of is found at the palace of Mausolus at Halicarnassus the walls of which in brick are covered with marble of Proconnesus Mausolus died in the second year of the 107th olympiad being the year of Rome 403 chapter 7 Who was the first to encrust the walls of houses at Rome with marble? The first person at Rome who covered the whole of the walls of his house with marble, according to Cornelius Nepos, was Mamura, who dwelt upon the Caelian hill, a member of the equestrian order and a native of Formiae, who had been prefect of the engineers under Cassius Caesar in Gaul. Such was the individual, that nothing may be wanting to the indignity of the example, who first adopted this practice. The same Mamura, in fact, who was so torn to pieces in the verses of Catalus of Verona. Indeed, his own house proclaimed more loudly than Catalyst could proclaim it, that he had come into possession of all that Gallia Camata had had to possess. For, Nepos adds, as well, that he was the first to have all the columns of his house made of nothing but solid marble and that, too, marble of Caristus, or of Luna. Chapter 8. At what period the various kinds of marble came into use at Rome? Marcus Lepidus, who was consul with Quirinius Catullus, was the first to have the lintels of his house made of Numidian marble, a thing for which he was greatly censured. He was consul in the year of Rome, 676, this is the earliest instance that I can find of the introduction of Numidian marble, not in the forms of pillars, however, or of slabs, as was the case with the marble of Charystis, above mentioned, but in blocks, and that, too, for the comparatively ignoble purpose of making the thresholds of doors. Four years after this Lepidus, Lucius Lucullus was counsel, the same person who gave its name, it is very evident, to the Lucian marble, for, taking a great fancy to it, he introduced it at Rome. While other kinds of marble are valued for their spots or their colors, this marble is entirely black. It is found on the island of Milos, and is pretty nearly the only marble that has taken its name from the person who first introduced it. Among these personages, Scarus, in my opinion, was the first to build a theater with walls of marble. But whether they were only coated with slabs of marble, or were made of solid blocks, highly polished, such as we now see in the Temple of Jupiter Tonas in the capital, I cannot exactly say, for up to this period I cannot find any vestiges of the use of marble slabs in Italy. Chapter 9. The Method of Cutting Marble into Slabs, The Sand Used in Cutting Marble but whoever it was that first invented the art of thus cutting marble, and so multiplying the appliances of luxury, he displayed considerable ingenuity, though to little purpose. This division, though apparently affected by the aid of iron, is, in reality, affected by sand, the saw acting only by pressing upon the sand within a very fine cleft in the stone as it is moved to and fro. The sand of Ethiopia is the most highly esteemed for this purpose. For, to add to the trouble that is entailed, we have to send to Ethiopia for the purpose of preparing our marble, ay, and as far as India even, whereas in former times the severity of the Roman manners thought it beneath them to repair thither in search of such costly things even as pearls. This Indian sand is held in the next highest degree of estimation, the Ethiopian being of a softer nature, and better adapted for dividing the stone without leaving any roughness on the surface, whereas the sand from India does not leave so smooth a face upon it. Still, however, for polishing marble, we find it recommended to rub it with Indian sand, calcinate. The sand of Naxos has the same defect, as also that from Coptos, generally known as Egyptian sand. The above were the several varieties of sand used by the ancients in dividing marble. More recently, sand has been discovered that is equally approved for this purpose in a certain creek of the Adriatic Sea, which is left dry at low water only, a thing that renders it not very easy to be found. At the present day, however, the fraudulent tendencies of our workers in marble have emboldened them to use any kind of river sand for the purpose, a mischief which very few employers rightly appreciate. For, the coarser the sand, the wider is the division made in the stone, the greater the quantity of material consumed and the more extensive the labor required for polishing the rough surface that is left, a result of which is that the slabs lose so much more in thickness. For giving the last polish to marble, to stone, is considered well-adapted as also porous stone, or pumice, powdered fine. Chapter 10 Stone of Naxos Stone of Armenia For polishing marble statues, as also for cutting and giving a polish to precious stones, the preference was long given to the stone of Naxos, such being the name of a kind of touchstone that is found in the Isle of Cyprus. More recently, however, The stones imported from Armenia for this purpose have displaced those of Naxos. Chapter 11. The Marbles of Alexandria The marbles are too well known to make it necessary for me to enumerate their several colors and varieties. And indeed, so numerous are they that it would be no easy task to do so. For what place is there, in fact, that has not a marble of its own? In addition to which, in our description of the earth, and its various peoples, we have already made it our care to mention the more celebrated kinds of marble. Still, however, they are not all of them produced from quarries, but in many instances lie scattered just beneath the surface of the earth. Some of them, the most precious even, the green Lacedaemonian marble, for example, more brilliant in color than any other, the Augustan, also, and, more recently, the Tiberian, which were first discovered in the reigns respectively of Augustus and Tiberius, in Egypt. These two marbles differ from Ophites, in the circumstance that the latter is marked with streaks which resemble serpents in appearance, whence its name. There is also this difference between the two marbles themselves, in the arrangement of their spots. The Augustan marble has them undulated and curling to a point, whereas in the Tiberian the streaks are white, not involved, But lying wide asunder. Of ophytes, there are only some very small pillars known to have been made. There are two varieties of it, one white and soft, the other inclining to black and hard. Both kinds, it is said, worn as an amulet, are a cure for headache and for wounds inflicted by serpents. Some, too, recommend the white ophytes as an amulet for phrenitis and lethargy. As a counterpoison to serpents, some persons speak more particularly in praise of the ophites that is known as tephryas, from its ashy color. There is also a marble known as memphites, from the place where it is found, and of a nature somewhat analogous to the precious stones. For medicinal purposes, it is triturated and applied in the form of a liniment with vinegar to such parts of the body as require cauterizing or incision, the flesh becoming quite benumbed and thereby rendered insensible to pain. Porphyrites, which is another product of Egypt, is of a red color. The kind that is mottled with white blotches is known as Leptosposophis. The quarries there are able to furnish blocks of any dimensions, however large. Petrosius Polio, who was steward in Egypt for the emperor Claudius, brought to Rome from Egypt some statues made of this stone, a novelty which was not very highly approved of, as no one has since followed his example. The Egyptians, too, have discovered in Ethiopia the stone known as Bassanites, which in color and hardness resembles iron, whence the name that has been given to it. A larger block of it has never been known than the one forming the group which has been dedicated by the emperor Vespasianus Augustus in the Temple of Peace. It represents the river Nihilus, With sixteen children sporting around it, symbolical of the sixteen cubits, the extreme height to which, in the most favorable seasons, that river should rise. It is stated, too, that in the temple of Serapis, at Thebes, there is a block not unlike it, which forms the statue of Memnon there. Remarkable, it is said, for emitting a sound each morning when first touched by the rays of the rising sun. CHAPTER Twelve onyx and alabastrites. six remedies. Our forefathers imagined that onyx was only to be found in the mountains of Arabia and nowhere else, but Sudines was aware that it is also found in Carmania. Drinking vessels were made of it at first and then the feet of beds and chairs. Cornelius Nepos relates that great was the astonishment when Publius Lentulus Spinther exhibited amphora made of this material as large as Cheon wine vessels in size. And yet, five years after, says he, I saw columns of this material no less than two and thirty feet in height. At a more recent period again, some change took place with reference to this stone, for four small pillars of it were erected by Cornelius Balbus in his theater as something quite marvelous, and I myself have seen thirty columns of larger size in the banqueting room which Calastus erected, the freedman of Claudius, so well known for the influence which he possessed. This stone is called alabastrites by some and is hollowed out into vessels for holding unguents, it having the reputation of preserving them from corruption better than anything else. In a calcined state, it is a good ingredient for plasters. It is found in the vicinity of Thebes in Egypt, and of Damascus in Syria, that of Damascus being whiter than the others. The most esteemed kind, however, is that of Carmania; the next being the produce of India, and then those of Syria and Asia. The worst in quality is that of Cappadocia; it being utterly destitute of lustre. That which is of a honey color is the most esteemed, covered with spots, curling in whirls, and not transparent. Alabasterites is considered defective when it is of a white or horn color, or approaching to glass in appearance. Chapter 13 Lygdinus, Coralitic Stone, Stone of Albanda, Stone of Thebaeus, Stone of Sina. Little inferior to it for the preservation of unguents, in the opinion of many, is the stone called Lygdinus that is found in Paros and never of a larger size than to admit of a dish or goblet being made of it. In former times, it was only imported from Arabia, being remarkable for its extreme whiteness. Great value is placed also upon the two other kinds of stone of quite a contrary nature, coralitic stone, found in Asia, in blocks no more than two cubits in thickness, and of a white somewhat approaching that of ivory, and in some degree resembling it and alabandic stone which on the other hand is black and is so called from the district which produces it though it is also to be found at melidas where however it verges somewhat more upon the purple it admits of being melted by the action of fire and is fused for the preparation of glass the bayic stone which is sprinkled all over with spots like gold is found in africa on the side of it which lies adjacent to egypt the small hones which it supplies being peculiarly adapted from their natural properties for grinding the ingredients used in preparations for the eyes. In the neighborhood of Sina, too, in Thabias, there is a stone found that is now known as cyanites, but was formerly called Pihoposleon. End of section 29